0: Our text is Jeremiah 35, and it's 19 verses, but I think we'll remain standing while I read. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying... Go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jaazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, his brothers and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah. A man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, above the chamber of Mesiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, Drink wine. But they said, We will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, you nor your sons, forever." You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these, but all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us, to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have vineyard. Field or seed. But we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land, and we said, Come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction to obey my words? says the Lord. The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me i have also sent to you all my servants the prophets rising up early and sending them saying turn now everyone from his evil way amend your doings and do not go after other gods to serve them then you will dwell in the land which i have given you and your fathers but you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me surely the son of jonadab the son of recab have performed the commandment of their father which he commanded them, but this people has not obeyed me. Therefore thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard, and I have called to them, but they have not answered. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he commanded you, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Recab shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. Father, we thank you for the word that you've provided to us to lead us, to guide us, instruct us, to fill our lives with hope. And we pray, Lord, that, that would do that you would do so, your Holy Spirit would apply it to our minds, that we would come away uh, edified, strengthened, and resolved to do your will. We thank you now for your kindness and goodness in Christ's name. Amen. amen. You When you hear the name Jeremiah, what comes to mind? There is a phrase that's associated with Jeremiah describing him. He was called the weeping prophet. And so, do you know why Jeremiah was the weeping prophet? What was this bad news that was so bad that he was preaching all of his life that came to pass? It was the destruction of Jerusalem. He was weeping over the imminent uh, destruction of Jerusalem. The Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, would one day come and take Jerusalem. And this is right around 600 B.C. that this is happening. Now, the southern kingdom is called Judah. The northern kingdom is called Israel. They were divided under Solomon's son's reign. And so Rehoboam messed up, Jeroboam of the northern kingdom rebelled, and then from then on you had these two kingdoms, northern and southern. The northern kingdom, Israel, had fallen almost over 130 years earlier. And so now the, a new nemesis is threatening the southern kingdom. Jehoiakim, the man to whom Uh, Jeremiah goes and presents this uh, prophecy, has been king for a few years. He's the son of Josiah, as it says. Now, Josiah, you know, had reigned for about 30 years, and he had restored worship. He had had become kind of the boy king, and they had found the book of the law. They had restored uh, the rightful worship in the temple. Yet, when his son took over, his son reverted right back to the evil ways of those that had come before him, and mainly that was Manasseh, Josiah's father. In the very next chapter, 36, is where, if you've read through the Bible, uh, this is very striking. It should be memorable, I think. But Jeremiah has written this long scroll, and he's given it to Barak, and Barak has gone, and he's given it to the king's men. And the king is in what they call his summer house, and as they read it to him, he cuts it off and throws it into the fire. Cuts it off, throws it into the fire. This is what Jehoiakim thinks of God and his word. So a few years after this occurs, Jeremiah 35, a a very few years, uh, Jehoiakim is gone. Nebuchadnezzar has taken him, executed him, set up, uh, I believe, his uh, son or brother in his place. So that's the context that we're in right here as we enter Jeremiah 35. This is what Jeremiah is faced with. He's been preaching these prophecies for a long time. Now, Jeremiah is chronological up to roughly Jeremiah 30 or so. And then it kind of jumps around a bit. And so this is one of these jumping around sections because actually this time occurred about 10 or 11 chapters earlier in Jeremiah. So what God tells him is very simple. Go to the house of the Rechabites. Now the house of the Rechabites is actually a figurative reference to house. It's really more like go to the clan of the Rechabites or go to the household of the Rechabites because we know that they have no houses. They say that later, they've been faithful. And actually in verse 3, it's kind of confirmed in saying, and the whole house of the Rechabites. So these are the people that are coming. They're not a house. It's kind of like, you know, right, we're the church. This building is not or a building is not. So that's kind of the way that it's referred to. So God's instructions to Jeremiah are very brief, Jeremiah goes and fulfills them. He says, go to the Rechabites, speak to them, bring them into the house, into one of the chambers, give them wine to drink. Now this next portion with all of these many complicated names to say, I was thinking, do I really need to say those? Can I just skip over those? Are they really that interesting? And it's funny because I thought, well, it would be more disruptive to explain to you why I'm not saying them And so I thought, well, I'll say them anyway. And then as I'm working through the text, I see why they're here. They're not there to stump us, Americans, in trying to pronounce their names. Let me show you. Several descendants of Rechab are mentioned by name. And so here they start in verse 3. Then I took Jezaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah. His brothers, and now we're talking about Jezaniah's brothers and his sons. So we've got four generations, it would seem, that are represented in these men that are coming in here, or at least two generations and referring to the, to the grandfather and the, and the great-grandfather, or the father and the grandfather, rather. But so they're all mentioned. I took Jeazaniah, Jeazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Abazaniah, his brothers and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord. Now these people are nomads. They only came to Jerusalem to be safe from the roaming armies that are out there because we're talking about all kinds of armies that are now roaming. Nebuchadnezzar has come. He's already sacked the Assyrians, but the Assyrian armies are on the move. There are all kinds of wicked things happening in this area. And so these people are nomads. They've been living as nomads. And yet for safety's sake, they've come into this walled city. And so now they're being invited right into the temple, into one of the inner chambers. I doubt any of them have ever been there. So this has got to be kind of scary for them. It's, it's pretty uh, unusual for them to have this happen. But God has instructed Jeremiah to do it. He's done it, and here they are. I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Idalia, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes... Above the changer of Maesiah the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. So, see, I think what's going on here in this verse, especially verse 4, is a lot of name dropping. These people are being brought into the temple, into the room adjacent to the prince's room, into the man of God, the man, the keeper of the door. I mean, not only are they going into the temple, they're going into some special room of the temple. So you can imagine the stress they feel. Think about when uh, Joseph's brothers are invited down there, and, and this man, who they didn't know to be their brother, is invited in to have a meal with them, and they're sweating it out. I mean, they were sweating bullets. Why is he doing this? Does he know that the silver cups were, were, were taken and put in our bags? Does he suspect us of stealing? All this is going through their minds. Similar thing here. These men, and we don't really know how many, but I'm guessing probably... I don't know, at least a few dozen, I'm thinking. There are a lot of men coming in here. This is, they're representing this whole clan. Now, it might not have been all the men of the clan, but yet it's this representative lot of the Rechabites. And so they've come in here. So the, the name-dropping, and the reason why this is important, I believe that we read this and understand it, it speaks of the power and the influence and the importance of what's happening and the situation that these Rechabites are entering into. Jeremiah is setting the atmosphere for what he's about to do. And this is what happens. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, Drink wine. But they said, We will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, you nor your sons, forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these things. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. So they said no. They did not succumb to the pressure that they would have perhaps felt being brought into this temple, into this holy place, into this very uh, strange atmosphere, and then have these bulls just put them. And then notice too, in verse 6, but they said, So, see, it wasn't just one man, a spokesperson, that said no. There was no debating this. I believe to a man, they said, no, we will not do this. This is not what we do. And now a new name is mentioned. I'd mentioned a bunch of names earlier in verse 3. Now the name of Jonadab is mentioned. They said, we will drink no wine for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine. So he had given... Jonadab had given five prohibitions and one requirement. The prohibitions were drink no wine, don't build houses, don't sow seed, don't plant vineyards, and don't own any of these things. You're not allowed to own property, essentially. Instead, the one requirement, you shall dwell in tents. So these people have been living like this now. And look at the duration of this. We will drink no wine, for Jonadab the son of Rechab our father commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, you nor your sons, forever. This was not a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow doesn't typically last your lifetime, let alone the lifetime of your children and all your posterity. A Nazarite vow is for a limited period of time. But these people are following their their grand-grandfather's instruction, even now, and it's forever. It's to last them all their lives. Now, who of the Rechabites has embraced this lifestyle? Is it just the men? But again, we see, no, it's not that. Verse 8, thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us, to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, or our daughters. So all of them, the whole family, there's nobody exempted from this to a person. This is the clan lifestyle that they've embraced. So now verse 11, I'll skip a couple, but it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon came up into the land that we said, come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. So they do say they dwell at Jerusalem, but this is temporary. And I believe they are living in tents somewhere within this walled city, somewhere where they've essentially made a deal with someone who owns some property out there in the city that they would share their space with them. These roving armies, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, the Syrians, they're out there, and more badness is going to happen. Now, I need to change gears here We're going to follow the Rechabites eventually. But for now, I need to cover the main message here in Jeremiah 35. It's not my message. It's not really the main thing I need to share. But so many preachers don't present this as the main message, and they misrepresent the main message that I think it's appropriate to tell you what the main message is since we're in Jeremiah 35. First, God contrasts, well, let me go ahead and read it first. I'm going to read you verses 12 through 16. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction to obey my words, says the Lord, the words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine are performed for to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. I have also sent you to all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now, everyone, from his evil evil way. Amend your doings. Do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers. But you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them but this people has not obeyed me. So Jonadab was a mere man. His words lacked divine authority, and what he commanded them really doesn't square with Scripture. It goes farther than Scripture in giving commands to which he's binding all of his posterity, yet they have maintained that. They are faithful to their forefather. Whereas God, God... Who spoke the world into existence, who selected this people special to his heart and for this purpose, whose commands are not burdensome, not nearly as limiting as the commands of Jonadab, is being rebelled against by these people from Judah. And not only this, God had sent Israel into captivity over 100 years earlier and has been threatening to do the same with Judah, and yet they refuse to humble themselves, they refuse to repent. So see, that's the main message. The main message that God is bringing to bear on his people is, I'm just pointing out, there is this man whose descendants are faithful to him, yet you are faithless towards me. And then he uh, pronounces this, verse 17, Therefore thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard, and I have called to them, but they have not answered. Within 15 years, Jerusalem is destroyed. Within just a handful, like a few years, Jehoiakim is taken prisoner and a puppet king is put in his place. But still, they did not repent. And so I briefly also want to say, that's what Jeremiah 35 is about. That's the message. What Jeremiah 35 is not about... It's not about abstinence from alcohol. Now, people can take that as an illustration. There was a temperance movement in the 1800s known as the Rechabites, and that's fine. If they want to advocate for temperance, they're taking this name, but you can't then bludgeon people with that as if that's the word of God and that's the law. It's not that at all. That's not what God is saying. God's affirming what Jonadab did only because his ancestors are so, his uh, uh, posterity is so faithful to him. That's what he's pointing out. He's not affirming that. And really, if people do say this is about not drinking wine, do those people live in homes? Do they own homes? Do they farm? Do they plant seeds? If they believe that's about alcohol, they ought not do any of those other things. They've got to be out there in tents somewhere. And I doubt any of them are, not in the 1800s not now. So now, I'm going to return now to the Rechabites. So we took this little uh, detour briefly. So now, it is thought, and I'm not going to go into proving it, but it is thought that Rechab was a descendant of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. And in early Judges, uh, they demonstrate this point, but it kind of gets tedious, and I just want you to either take my word for it or say me, I'm a liar. It's not that important to the thrust of the message. So they're Kenites, they're non-Semitic, and so thus these are all converts to Judaism. These aren't even part of the Semitic peoples that God had drawn into his covenant, but they uh, essentially are proselytes, and they enter into the covenant through choice. And they then say, uh, as we talked about earlier, uh, we will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall drink wine, nor your sons forever. So now... We introduce Jonadab. We don't really have much in the Bible about Rechab, but we do have a lot about Jonadab. So if you want to, you can follow me uh, back to 2 Kings, uh, chapters 9 and 10. Now, before we talk about Jonadab, we have to talk about a fascinating man. I mean, when I read this part of the Bible, when I hear it, it it just gets my blood uh, flowing. Uh, Jehu has got to be one of the best men's men of the Bible. I mean, he's just such a crazy guy. And what happened during uh, this period of time is phenomenal. So in 2 Kings 9 and 10 is pretty much the whole story. Now, I'm not going to read all that. That's a lot of text to read. But I first will point out, and I'll go back actually even farther to Elijah, on Mount Carmel, back all the way back to 1 Kings 18. That, from 1 Kings 9, that's about 10 chapters, 11 chapters back. Elijah had defeated the uh, priests of Baal on Mount Carmel and then executed them. The fire fell from heaven, and then he told all the faithful, execute these, these uh, false priests. They were executed. But he then... Uh, prophesied about the coming of the rainstorm, ran to Jezreel, it was all going to happen, and then Jezebel sends him a a note by messenger saying, tomorrow this time you'll be dead, just like all my priests. So he's afraid, he runs away. So he runs away, and after he'd run all that way and the ravens feed him and all this, God promises him some things. And let me tell you what God promised him. In verses 15 to 17 of 1 Kings 19. Let me see. The Lord said to uh, Elijah Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So he tells Elijah that he's going to anoint the next king of Syria, the next king of Israel, and his replacement. Now, I don't understand what happens then, but it appeared that at least a few years pass before this comes to pass. But I just wanted to skip ahead now to 2 Kings 9, and this is now where we see the fulfillment of what Elijah had been told was going to happen. Elijah's long gone, but Elisha now is going to do this. Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, get yourself ready, take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. This is where Jehu is. He is the commander of the king of Israel's army. And he and the king had been there in Ramoth-Gilead holding off the Syrians uh, from the east. When you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. So the man did this. And then he tells him some things. So then Jehu comes out. He's the only man that had gone into that inner room with this crazy prophet. And so they said, Is all well? Why did this madman come to you? And he said to them, You know the man and his babble. And they said, A lie. Tell us now. So in other words, they know that he's not telling them everything. So he said, Thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. And then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps. And they blew trumpets, saying, Jehu, Jehu is king. So now we've got a coup in progress. A coup has just begun. Jehu, the commander of the Israel, the Israel army, is going to now take over the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. The king had been wounded in this battle at Ramoth-Gilead. His name is Joram. He had returned to Jezreel. You've got Ramoth-Gilead over here, beyond the, the river Jordan, over here in the desert area. They're holding off the Syrian army. The king has come back here about 30 miles, maybe to Jezreel, and he's recuperating from a wound. So Jehu is on his way back with all of his army. And so this is when it's interesting. A watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel. And he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company of men. And Joram said, get a horseman, send him to meet them, and let him say, is it peace? So the horseman went to meet him and said, thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported, saying, The messenger went to them but is not coming back. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported, saying, He went up to them and is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. In the New King James, but I love the King James says, He drives like a madman. Jehu drives his chariot like a madman. Then Joram said, Make ready. And his chariot was made ready. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah. So both kings are here because they're related and they're equally evil. They went out, each in his chariot, and they went out to meet Jehu and meet him on the property of Naboth the Jezreelite. Ah, Naboth, remember? The man they killed, the man uh, Ahab had killed. Now it happened when Joram saw Jehu that he said, "'Is it peace, Jehu?' So he answered, "'What peace?' as long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. Ooh, that opened Joram's eyes. Joram turned around and fled and said to Ahaziah, Treachery Ahaziah! Now Jehu drew his bow with full strength, shot Jehoram, and Jehoram, Joram, they often drop that H-O, between his arms, and the arrow came out of his heart, and he sank down in his chariot. And then Jehu said, well, I won't go on, but he kills the king of Israel. And his men kill the king of Judah. And so this is a unique day in the history of these people. Both kings have died in the same day in the same attack. So now Jehu enters Jezreel, and Jezebel dares to call to him from a window, an upper window, and she taunts him. He says, who is on my side? Two or three eunuchs poke their heads out. Push her out of that window. So the eunuchs push her out of the window. She falls to her death. He runs over her with his chariots. So, I mean, this is what happened to Jezebel. Then Jehu has a meal. He sits down. He writes letters to Samaria, which is the the king, the, uh, the capital city of Israel. He writes letters to Samaria. Appoint a king and prepare to fight. That's what he tells them. He says, you're all faithful to Ahab. Ahab has a lot of sons. Appoint one of them a king and prepare to fight me. (laughs) These guys are like, what? No way. He's just killed two kings. We are not going to fight you. So he writes back and he says, okay then, deliver the heads of all Ahab's sons to Jezreel. I want them at the gate of the city. So they do. Seventy sons of Ahab are beheaded Their their heads are put in baskets, and they are delivered and placed at the gate of Jezreel. The next morning, Jehu comes out, and he tells the people of Jezreel, I admit I have killed my king, but who killed all these men? So he essentially is saying, everybody's with me. You better be with me too. So now he departs for Samaria. So he's departing from Jezreel where the king had been healing, where Jezebel was. Now he's heading to Samaria, the capital city. Why is he going there? To look for people who are still faithful to Ahab. He wants them dead too. So now, no sooner does he leave this city than he runs into 42 of Ahaziah's brothers from Jerusalem who have come up there to visit their brother and the king of Samaria. He kills them all. So 70 sons of Ahab, the present residing kings of Israel and Judah, now 42 brothers of Ahaziah, all dead. All dead in the matter of just a few days. Now what's coming is the total elimination of Baal worship. And this is where we introduce Jonadab. Jonadab. Jonadab is a contemporary of Jehu. He would appear to know him, and he enters the story just as Jehu is heading out, heading to Samaria, and he's he's going to kill those Ahab supporters. So now we're in 2 Kings 10, and let me read from 15 to 17. Now when he departed from there, he met Again, the H-O can be there or not. It often comes in and out of various names. But so this is Jonadab. Now when he departed from there, he met Jonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right as my heart is toward your heart? And Jonadab answered, It is. Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand and he took him up into the chariot. And he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot. Oh, let me... And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained uh, to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. So this was much earlier, where this prophecy of all this death had happened, and and Jehu knew it. He knew he was fulfilling God's uh, prophecies, and he was doing it, and he intended to fulfill them right. Then Jonadab assists Jehu in this deception. Now, the reason I think... Jehonadab knew him, is when he... It says, now when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. So Jehonadab was seeking out Jehu. He knew what was going on, and he wanted to be a part of it. In the middle of a coup, Jehonadab went to Jehu. Now, the middle of a coup is a difficult time to make friends. You better be friends with the person who's uh, emitting all this death, committing all these uh, murders, But so I believe he knew him. The greeting hints at that. But either way, he was courageous. That's obvious. Jonadab was courageous like Jehu. He was not a spectator in this world. He was a player in this world. So now, we're finally getting to the point. And so the point is, I already gave you the main message of Jeremiah 35. I don't want you to forget that. It's all about the coming doom of Jerusalem and all of Judah, that's what Jeremiah 35 is about. But there's another big point. God had used the lesser to greater comparison of Jonadab to himself to prove this doom point. But the primary message was that there's another message. My question to you is this, and maybe you know. I'd known it was a long time, but I didn't know how long. This story that I told you of Jehu and Jonadab, that story occurred around 840 B.C. That's when those two kings died. Jeremiah rebuking Jehoiakim in his palace and the king burning it occurred in 600 B.C., so it's 240 years later. This is how long these Rechabites have been faithful to their ancestor Jonadab's command to be nomads. 240 years. Do you know how long 240 years ago is from now, from today, from 2016? 1776. Isn't it interesting? I think it's just so poetic that we have this occurring in the same span as we are from our founding as a nation. Let me read verses 18 and 19 from Jeremiah 35. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, so now he's just pronounced the destruction of Jerusalem and Judah. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he commanded you, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. So they are honored by God in perpetuity for their faithfulness to their father Jonadab. Now, it had been, at that time when this is pronounced, it had been 240 years. It's now been... 2,856 years. Over 70 generations of Rechabites, if you think of 40 years as a generation, have occurred since then. And yet God's word says that the Rechabites will never lack a man to stand before him. And I don't believe this standing before him is being in service like in the temple or anything like that. I believe it has to do with faithfulness. And so the Rechabites have maintained a male heir for nearly 2,900 years that is faithful to the Lord. It's gone on for 2,856 years, and it will go on through the end of time, through the end of time in this world and entering into eternity future. Now, I think all of us know, at least those of us that are adults and have lived a while, that think about this. It's not something you think about a lot. It's somewhat morbid. But I believe we all know some male heir families, uh, parts of this big tree that we all are a part of, that have died off. We all know parts of that tree that have died off, that have no more male heirs descending. A, couple, a man either doesn't marry, or they marry and they don't have children, or they don't have male children, and he has no male brothers, and that's it. That's the end of that line. So statistically speaking, that happens to a lot throughout that tree. The Rechabites have never had that happen, will never have that happen, and that is God's promise. So God is honoring them, but I ask you... Is God honoring them because of the specific rules that they followed? Because of the fact that they were nomads? Up to that point, you could say that, yes. But are those Rechabites still abiding by those rules? I doubt it. But yet, they're still faithful to the Lord. At least there's a thread that is still faithful to the Lord. So why is God honoring them? Why did he honor them? Why is he honoring them? And it's because of their faithfulness to their father. And let me flip to Ephesians 6, starting at verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord." So, God blessed the Rechabites for their faithfulness, for honoring essentially the fifth commandment. Now, the fifth commandment, though, you have to look at that promise. What does it promise? That it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. But see, that's earthly life. And I believe these Rechabites have been promised heavenly life, at least a thread. So see, God multiplied that promise because of their faithfulness to their father. God multiplied that promise infinitely. God rewards the faithful diligence of parents. That is an example of Jonadab. He was such a faithful father. Why is it that he did that? When did he live? He lived at the collapse of the northern kingdom. All of that evil, all of those evil people exterminated, Now, Baal worship, like most pagan worship, revolved around drunken revelry. So it's no wonder that he instituted these. And now, too, he lived in the northern kingdom. But the northern kingdom fell 100 years later. And so his Rechabites, as nomads, were safe. They moved away from the northern kingdom. And now they're in the southern kingdom, and they're going to be safe now because they're nomads, and they're going to move away before Jerusalem and Judah fall. So see, Jonadab essentially did protect his posterity from the coming destruction of both the northern and the southern kingdoms by what he had done because he probably saw the writing on the wall, saw what was going to happen. So see, God rewarded the faithful diligence of the Jonadab, a planner that he was, and the faithful obedience of his children. We don't know that all children obeyed him during that 240 years. They may have had some spin out and not be there. But he rewarded the faithful. So this was a message to build upon last week's message, both revolving around family roles. Last week we talked about husbands and wives, happily ever after. And this one was honoring the family. And so it's just living proof. And this uh, Jonadab and the Rechabites living out the fifth commandment and the tremendous blessing that they received because of it. May we be blessed as we are obedient in the same fashion. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word and for the power that rests behind that word. Uh, Lord, you love us and you give us your word that is true, that will never fail. Uh, You love us and you want to protect us from evil. You want to see us blessed and not cursed. And so we pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to you, that we would seek to uh, go after your word and apply it in our lives as opposed to running from responsibility when it comes to your will. We give you thanks for your kindness to us, for your promise to the Rechabites, and for the fact that you have given eternal life to so many uh, that that do not deserve it. Uh, We thank you, Lord, and pray that you would bless us with life, with health, with a uh, long and prosperous uh, future uh, through covenant succession. In Christ's name we pray, amen.